0: Welcome to Love Thy Lawyer, I'm Lewis Goodman, and today we're going to do something a bit different, but important to all of us. Tom Kirkham, founder and CEO of Iron Tech Security, provides cybersecurity defense systems and consulting. Whether your practice involves working for the government, a large law firm, a small law firm, or a solo practice. Cybercrime represents a danger and potentially very expensive problem for all of us. Tom brings more than three decades of computer and network experience to his work. He's recently published a book, The Cyber Pandemic Survival Guide. Tom Kirkham, welcome to Love Thy Lawyer. Oh, great. It's nice to be here, Lewis. Thanks so much for joining me. Where are you talking to us from right now? I am in Fort Smith, Arkansas. How long have you been located there for your work? Oh,
1: well, I founded the company a little over twenty years ago, and it was right here and I think I lived here about another ten years before that and my previous job i I didn't really spend much time here except on the weekends. I was traveling all over for my job. But you know once the dot com days the dot com bust hit, I was laid off for my other tech job. I was an executive in a software development company, and I had really nothing else else to do. And Fort Smith, Arkansas, is not exactly a hotbed of technology. So I decided just to become open up a, an outsourced IT business for small to medium-sized businesses.
0: What's the name of your company? Irontechsecurity.com. Where are you from originally? Louisiana. Is that where you went to high school and college? Well, in high school,
1: it was all Arkansas. My dad was a civil engineer so we moved around a lot when I was younger. But I eventually went to the University of Arkansas 3 times and and then settled here in Fort Smith with the previous software company.
0: So even though you came from Louisiana, you became a Razorback?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's funny how you, if you live in a state long enough, you kind of kind of gets into your blood.
0: What was your experience in your education in college? that got you interested in the computer and networking world?
1: That's a great question. It didn't. I actually attended college for economics. I was a hobbyist in the computers, you know, back in the, the old dial-up internet days. I was on the internet before there was a
0: worldwide web, before there were websites. So how did that fit into you, your becoming more interested in the online computer world?
1: Well, it started as you know, I built my own computer, you know, as a hobbyist and then it was part of the company that I worked for previously. And so the the internet wasn't wasn't what no one expected it to be so pervasive throughout our life. And then the World Wide Web was created and I got I started thinking about it strategically and understanding how networking works. And, and and still to this day, I, I, that's all I do invest in is technology. I, I look at things from a macroeconomic perspective, but only as it pl- applies to technology. So if you know anything at all about technology,
0: the pace of change is incredible. Can you explain that a little bit? I mean, I know that there's this rule that says that the chips get faster and faster and faster exponentially. And I imagine that has something to do with that pace of change. But can you just explain a little bit about that pace of change for people who use the technology like me, but are not necessarily aware of, you know, what's going on behind the screen?
1: Yeah. So basically Moore's law and he was one of the founders of Intel said the average CPU will double in pro, or double in speed every 18 months. Now that had started slowing down. You know, they were getting into some subatomic principles about, you know, how small can we make this copper where it will still transmit bits and bytes. I mean, just look at how much, how long's the iPhone been out? That's only been out Twelve years maybe? And and before that we didn't we kinda had the internet in our pocket, but now it's for most people, it's the main interface to the world and their life really. It's really hard to describe the the pace of change. I, I can't think of another industry that has that incredible pace of change.
0: Tell me a little bit about Iron Tech Security and what Iron Tech Security focuses on security
1: is job one. It doesn't matter how much more productive and efficient you are. It doesn't matter how it's how IT investment positively affects the P&L each and every day. If you don't secure your firm and secure your client data, secure all the stakeholders to your firm, including yourself, it could all be at risk. And that that's one of the, you know, what, what, creates value in a law firm or with an attorney. It's it's you know, you're 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 nothing if not your reputation. In many professional service industries. And if you look if you have a data breach and client data is exposed or employee data is exposed, it could put you out of business.
0: Yeah, it could put you out of business and for those of us who are attorneys, it could also put us in a great deal of difficulty with our state bar regulators and the courts. Now, what we
1: do with IronTech is we provide enterprise-grade, Department of Defense-level cybersecurity defenses to the smallest of law firms because people have this, they don't think they can afford the same thing that the Department of Defense or Ford Motor Company is implementing. They think it's beyond their affordability. But, it, but in fact, it, it, you can't afford not to put it in, but it's not nearly as expensive as the vast majority of people think. And about half the population doesn't know where to get this level of security defense. And that's one of the reasons why I'm on your podcast
0: is to help educate that this is available and you can afford it. There have been some pretty high-profile, Attacks against systems. I'm thinking of the Colonial Pipeline, mm-hmm. and I know that you've looked at the Colonial Pipeline case certainly more closely than I have. I'm wondering what you can tell us about that, and how understanding what happened with Colonial could affect any of us. Colonial Pipeline did
1: not have a chief information security officer. That was the first thing I noticed as I started. I, I wasn't involved with the case, but I, you know, you can. It's all over the threat intelligence briefings that we that we see all the time. And that's the very first thing I thought. Basically, what happened, the, they were a victim of a targeted attack, right? So the hackers knew it was, a, it was a big target until it made the headlines on CNN and worldwide news. They had no idea they were attacking petroleum distribution that would affect the entire eastern seaboard. They actually apologized for the attack. So even though it was targeted, they still didn't know who or what it was. They just knew there were a lot of terminals and a lot of IP addresses, and they had a legacy virtual private network connection that was not protected by multi-factor authentication, and they cracked the password on it. No one was using it inside the company, and that is one of the things that a security officer will make sure is they're going to button up those things that are unused and turn them off. lock them down. Now, by all reports, their chief information officer was very competent and very capable, did a great job. But you've got to remember that security is a different skill set, it's a different expertise. And within that, there's subcategories. But IT is really about increasing productivity and efficiency and just making sure things work. Security typically is a secondary. Now, if there's anybody involved with IT, I probably just offended someone. But it's my observation, as well as others in the security business, that this is typically what we find. We go into clients that their IT provider said, you need this internet protection suite. Symantec, Norton, McAfee, whatever, whatever it is they partnered up with. Well, those are not good protection those are not enterprise they're not enterprise grade malware prevention a modern ransomware attack which is what everyone has to worry about everyone a modern ransomware attack has no virus to detect so it they just blow right past an antivirus program
0: because the, those products that you just mentioned are antivirus
1: products right and that's 40 year old technology that has a locally updated frequently updated virus signature file or a virus definition file. So everything that's run on the computer it has to run it through that 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 a signature file to see if this is a virus. And what the modern stuff or this enterprise class, endpoint protection. It's called an EDR. That's what the whole class is called. It uses artificial intelligence and a neural net to look at the behavior of both the user and the computer. And because it understands storylines, which is a technical term inside of InfoSec, the storyline of an attack, it can predict a certain sequence of things that will end up being a ransomware or other type of attack and intercede it doesn't have to have a virus definition file it doesn't even have to have a
0: virus another kind of high profile attack was made on the city of atlanta I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit the the
1: biggest problem we have is humans over 90 percent of successful breaches required an insider and and by an insider i'm almost always referring to a non-malicious insider. It's just someone trying
0: to do their job. So you're talking about someone in in an organization who has a computer that they use routinely in their work for the agency or the firm that they work for and they're using that computer but they're not being particularly careful about cybersecurity on that computer. Right.
1: So if you look once again going back to the storyline of a ransomware attack, if this in the typical way to deliver that ransomware attack into inside the network is via email. So these hackers, the ones that specialize in ransomware attacks have one really really good skill, and that is their ability to psychologically manipulate social engineer Back in the old days, we called it a con job or a scam. That's all it is. But instead of it being a one-to-one street scam, it's a one-to-many. It's done with automated software, and they will, for example, craft an email, send it to all the email addresses they have in a law firm, and it it looks like it's from a vendor. Maybe it's a vendor that provides important research or re- research, you know, website or whatever it may be. It looks like it's from them, and it says something to the effect of, hey, this is super urgent. These are the outstanding invoices that are unpaid. We're going to shut your service off immediately. Well, if a bookkeeper gets that, he or she's going to think, wait a minute, we're all paid up. It's an automatic deal on my credit card. Let me open this file attachment up and see what they're saying. And typically, that may be an Excel spreadsheet. It could be something else. But Excel will call a macro built into spreadsheets, right? The macro calls the Windows Disk Encryption Service, and that unleashes the virus. It begins encrypting file, every file it can find on that computer in the entire network. Nowhere in that storyline is a virus. In fact, it's all built into Microsoft Office and Microsoft Windows. But those steps at good EDR or artificial intelligence can see that that is a very typical storyline
0: and stop it before it begins encrypting files. How do you foresee the cyber threat landscape changing or evolving over the coming years? Well, we've already seen a big change in that
1: these nation-state level offensive cyber warfare viruses, Trojans, whatever you want to call them, are available for free on the dark web for use by criminals and other nation states. The best example I can give of that for those of you that remember the uh, Stuxnet virus that the U S and Israel used to attack Iran's nuclear enrichment facility, the NSA created it and some others and they deployed it and they, they knew that it was so dangerous that they carefully, made sure it would only execute in that environment. Well, the NSA was breached about five, four or five years ago. And their offensive cyber weapons, along with Stuxnet, is available to be downloaded by anybody on the dark web, including the source code. So that very source code of the original Stuxnet is being used against us each and every single day. So that's a game changer. You know, you you take... Offensive cyber weapons that Russia has, United States has, Israel, Germany, many, many others, players out there. And most of those, they've been hacked. They've been breached. And they're available to be used against us for whatever
0: purpose necessary. So that changed the game a lot. One of the things that I really took away from reading your book is that it's not a matter of just putting in a technological fix into one system. It involves really being continually vigilant and having the people around you being continually vigilant about things that don't look right, don't sound right, and that feel like there's something sketchy going on.
1: Yeah, if you see something, say something. Almost every day, one of our clients will send us an email before they open the file attachment and say, check this out, make sure it's clean. That happens to us every day. And we'd gladly do it. That's that's why we're there. That's why they've got a security team, you know,
0: on call. You've written this book, The Cyber Pandemic Survival Guide. I wonder if you could just kind of take us through how you came up with the notion of writing that book and the way in which you put it together. Because it has a very interesting sort of over story that then takes the reader through the process of being hacked having problems and then seeing what could have been better done from a security point of view
1: i knew that i didn't want to do just a dry cybersecurity book and i knew the audience was not people like me i can't have all this technical jargon in there no the audience the is point, people like me exactly exactly so i'm i'm looking at that typical small th- law firm, that typical small business that's, you know, owner of accounting or managing partner of an accounting firm, whatever it may be. And I've got to communicate this is the right thing to do and this is what could happen. So the fictional components of that is what I use to build out that whole thing. But if you notice, it just hammered it home that the biggest failure in that fictional scenario was failure of management and leadership. The mayor of the town's first knee-jerk reaction was to blame the IT guy. And that's that's not, that wasn't the, the problem. The problem is the, is the people making the decisions are not recognizing and acknowledging and addressing their risk and taking care of it. That's That's good management. And good leadership is represented by making a strategic decision to protect the very viability of the firm and everyone that works there in the event of a cyber attack. I wanted to illustrate the human component and what better way to do it than to show the the failures in management and leadership. As is often the case in modern warfare, or, well, all warfare
0: for that matter. What do you like about doing this kind of work?
1: Oh, it's just... It's exciting. I love thinking about, you know, I I love investigating anomalies.
0: What keeps you up at night?
1: I've got clients. And if we have a breach, all of our clients potentially have a breach.
0: Let's say you came into some real money, a few billion dollars. What, if anything, would you do differently in your life?
1: You know that's always the question. You're sitting around with your buddies at the bar, and the the lottery is up to whatever it was recently, one point five billion or whatever it was. And but then you start reflecting on, oh, I would buy everybody here a brand new Ferrari or whatever. And then you start reflecting on that, and you start imagining what would you really do. And I have I have yet to come to a conclusion on that. I I remember. I remember reading a biography or a book about Bill Gates and Warren Buffett telling him this was in the earlier days of Microsoft. He could already afford a jet. But one of one word of advice is Warren Buffett said, "Well, wait until you're 50 to buy a private jet." Well, uh-huh. that, that was ridiculous. <laughs> Gates needed it when he was 30 and he did buy it early. But the other one is, you know, the other one is, is you know, when you've got this level of money, you can't eat any better. You know, cars are just going to get you from point A to point B. You, you've you got to keep it all in perspective. I would do the same thing I'm doing now, just in different places around the world. You know, that, that's because I, I you know, we have, we have our chief information officer lives in Egypt. Our chief marketing officer lives in Honolulu. And I frequently do things like this from you know, all over the place, because I'm traveling for various reasons. And uh, i yeah, I think I would continue to do the very same thing,
0: maybe a little less. Tom, if someone listening to this wants to contact you about their own cybersecurity needs, what's the best way to do that?
1: IronTechSecurity.com. dot com. My personal website is tom kirkham dot com. There's contact forms. that will all get to me no matter what. By the book, it's available on Amazon, on Kindle and a hardback copy or soft cover. Those, those will all get to me one way or the other. And if you've got any questions, anyone in our companies would be happy to talk to you. We understand who our audience is and our job is to, you, you know, it's not your job as a CEO or a business owner to understand it at this depth. And so the 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 number one thing is to go to a security specialist not IT. It's not in their wheelhouse.
0: So it's really important to understand that IT is one thing, but internet security is something very different. Right. And security okay. needs to be job one. That trumps everything. Yeah. I want to just mention one more time your book which is The Cyber Pandemic Survival Guide. And it's written by you, Tom Kirkham. And Tom, is there anything that you wanted to talk about, to mention, that we haven't gotten to?
1: Well, yeah. The the name of the book comes from a phrase that Klaus Schwab talked about. What we witnessed with COVID is it took weeks and months to go around the globe. A cyber pandemic can travel around the planet in minutes or hours. And his objective with that talk is to imagine what would happen if we don't have ourselves properly protected. Because we already saw what happened when we didn't have ourselves protected against COVID and it could be much much worse. In fact, he says it will be compared to COVID, COVID will look like a speed bump compared to a global cyber pandemic. And yeah, that's that's what the book the name is based on and hopefully it never happens, but the it's certainly possible right now.
0: Tom Kirkham, thank you so much for joining me on the Love Thy Lawyer podcast. I've certainly learned some things this afternoon and I've learned some things from reading your book. So thank you so much for being so generous with your time and so informative. it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. That's it for today's episode of Love Thy Lawyer. If you enjoyed listening, please share it with a friend and follow the podcast. If you have comments or suggestions, send me an email. Take a look at our website at lovethylawyer.com, where you can find all of our episodes, transcripts, photographs, and information. Thanks to my guests and to Joel Katz for music, Brian Matheson for technical support, Paul Roberts for social media, and Tracy Harvey. I'm Lewis Goodman.
1: A lot of people don't realize it, but the internet was invented in the United States.
0: The World Wide Web was actually invented in Geneva, Switzerland.